0: And, and when you think about a constitution, when you talk about—we have a 50,000-word constitution. Your listeners are, might not know that. This is not a, a small document. This is not an 8,000-word document. This is a document that has lots of stuff in it. And that's important to understand why this, this debate and this discussion very more complex than it otherwise would be. But I think the fundamentals are the structure of the government, and that's what we have to get at.
1: Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette.
2: And this is Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode. Um, we are on Twitter at Gotham Gazette and CBC is at CBCNY. I'm at TweetBenMax. You can find What's the Data Point on all your podcast platforms and we hope you tell your friends, colleagues, family, and others about the podcast. We've had some great Episodes with lots of city officials, outside experts, an MTA executive, a city council member, and lots of others, including several Citizens Budget Commission analysts to give us important insights on public policy. So today, we're joined by one of the smartest, most knowledgeable people in the entire state of New York, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, That is Gerald Benjamin. Uh, He is the Benjamin Center Director and Associate Vice President for Regional Engagement at SUNY New Paltz. And yes, the Benjamin Center is named after him. Uh, He's been on faculty there since 1968 and has held a variety of roles at the school, uh, winning many prestigious honors. And he's an expert on the New York State Constitution, which is why we have him here today. For our data point,
2: Carol. Our data point today is 1936 which is the last time that voters in New York chose to call a convention to amend the state constitution. It is a question that is mandated to be on the ballot every 20 years, and after it was voted down by voters in 1957, 77, and 97, we are again at the 20-year mark in 2017. When the voters go to the polls on November 7, on the back of their ballots, there will be a yes or no question which will be whether New York shall hold a constitutional convention. A yes vote would trigger a multi-step, multi-year process, including the election of delegates in 2018. A no vote would end the discussion, at least for now. The question is controversial and is receiving a good deal of attention as we approach Election Day. Proponents call it a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity to update the state constitution and enact much-needed reforms that the state legislature will not pass on its own, like campaign finance reform, term limits, voting reforms. Opponents of a convention say it's too risky of an endeavor to open to the influence of special interests and dark money that could lead to unintended consequences, like the loss of certain labor and environmental protections. Gerald Benjamin, our guest, is an expert on the Constitution and the convention process, and he's in favor of calling a convention. He's here today to explain and defend that position and to talk with us more generally about the pros and cons of a con-con, as it is called. Welcome, Jerry, and thanks for being here.
0: Thanks, Carol. I'm a great admirer of both institutions that do this work, so I'm very pleased to be here. Well, thank
1: you, and it's great to see you. Um, so why don't we start, before we get into lots of the details, why don't we start with your sort of elevator pitch, your, you know, minute or so argument for, for why uh, voters should vote yes?
0: Well, I think there are fundamental structural issues with the New York State Constitution. I think we see that in the uh, legislature's failures as a, to be a deliberative body, uh, the, the selection of legislators in non-competitive elections and districts, gerrymandered districts for both houses, The uh, failure of home rule, essential failure of home rule, which is embraced as a principle, but in practice we don't uh, we don't have in New York. Uh, The the massive reform that's needed for our court system uh, to make it in some degree efficient. uh, Justice delayed is justice denied. Um, The uh, I think uh, excessive power that's that's aggregated to the governor, uh, which is a less focused point in in common discourse, but I think it's a worri- worrisome matter. The uh, predisposition of the Attorney General to be Chief Prosecutor absent a constitutional basis for that. So I think we have to decide what we want the Attorney General to do and if we want him or her to do what they're doing now, we should say so in the Constitution. And then there are uh, essentially uh, lots of dead-letter law in the Constitution and I think the failure of convergence between law and uh, reality for citizens leads to uh, Disrespect for government and disrespect for law, and uh, is is a dangerous is a dangerous fact. So that's why I'm for a convention. All I think right. it's the only way to fix these things, and for the people to call a convention, because the incumbent, the incumbents in these various institutions, and the incumbents in the centers of influence in state in, in the in the state, will not have not and will not support uh, a change process.
1: Well, it's good to hear your your initial approach, and we're going to dig into the details. So we know where you stand. We know that you're a proponent of this. Um, I'll just say for Gotham Gazette, uh, we're a news publication of Citizens Union Foundation, uh, which is a nonprofit that um, mostly exists to publish Gotham Gazette. Uh, it is a sister organization of Citizens Union, the Avocacy Group, and the uh, that advocacy group is in favor of a con-con, but that is not reflected uh, in what we do at Gotham Gazette. And we don't take a position on uh, ballot measures, we don't, ta- we don't endorse candidates at Gotham Gazette or any of that.
2: CBC has um, decided that for something of this nature, a, a um, constitutional amendment process, that we will try to elucidate the issue for our trustees and for the public, but not take an official position one way or the other as an organization. We had a uh, debate, a pro and con debate, for our trustees. Jerry Benjamin was the proponent. We had another Jerry, Jerry Kremer, a former legislator, as the um, exponent of the view against. And um, so we're just trying to further the conversation, I think, here, because we have Jerry Benjamin, who is a very articulate advocate um, in favor of constitutional convention. I will try to play devil's advocate um, and ask the questions that um, are raised by people who are concerned and, and against it. But CBC isn't taking a position one way or the other.
1: So... Before we get into more of the the pro and con, um, can you outline the process for us? Um, Obviously, like we said in the intro, if there's a no vote, that's the end of the process. But if there's a yes vote, how does it all happen?
0: Well, first of all, it's important to know that this is an integral part of the way we govern ourselves. It is not an unusual or or, uh, unique phenomenon. This process was placed in the Constitution in 1846, in a time where many of the concerns were similar to those today, And the idea was to give the sovereign people a chance to review their government and make a judgment about whether they're satisfied with its character and performance. And the premise was that we can change our Constitution through the people who are in the government, and there there is a process for that, to do it that way. But they might be self-interested and resistant to needed changes because they're in the government. So this is a technique for bypassing that. It's common in constitutions to have such techniques. Uh, New York's is one method, another method is the constitutional initiative, another method is the constitutional commission that Florida uniquely has. So we have a a 19th century uh, method. Then going on to the late 19th century, 1894, there was deadlock in the state over how to, once the, the voters determined they wanted a convention in 1886, there was deadlock in the state about how to elect delegates. Democrats and Republicans had strong differences because different processes produce different outcomes. Not a great insight. And so the Constitution, when finally convened, uh, when, when one party gained control, as I recall, the Republicans gained control of the entire legislature and the governorship, they specified a process. And then at the convention, they embedded the process, a process into the, it was a Republican control convention, they embedded a process in the Constitution selecting delegates, three from each Senate district and 15 at large. And that's essentially the process we use now. Some elements of the process are statutory, so the election law that we use is the election law that we would that in place first election of the state Senate and the campaign finance rules are the campaign finance rules in in place and the nominating process is the nominating process in place. So we have a a fundamentally partisan process, as a consequence.
2: And so, if the um, voters vote yes for a constitutional convention, then the following year's election would include the candidates for for the delegate and Right, would be and it's important
0: that's an even numbered year. One of the concerns is that the uh, uh, that the uh, incumbent legislators would uh, run to be delegates, so we'd have this theoretically alternative venue that would be dominated by the same people now that has not been as great of, uh, of uh, historically that hasn't been that's been happened and it's important but it hasn't been as dominant and controlling as people have presented it to be but when you have the simultaneous election there's a certain disincentive to run for one person to run for both offices at the same time it raises questions in the voters mind and creates a vulnerability a number of, Members I've talked to said that that would be that would preclude them from seeking uh, a position as delegate. I'm sure it would not preclude all sitting members.
2: But this is this uh, this process of selection, to many opponents, is the critical reason that they are concerned. Because as you say, it's an election, so there will be Democratic nominees and there will be Republican nominees, and the idea that somehow this is going to be the people, as you put it. Um, is hard to envision, that it's going to be easier for people even if they're not current elected leaders, they will be people who are part of the political process now, and that um, they will run because they know how to do it and they know how to get on the ballot, and that outsiders, independent people, average citizens, will find it much more difficult not only to get on the ballot, but to have the resources to, to campaign. Um, so, what's what do you say about that?
0: Well, I think that's you know, I think you've summarized the argument uh, quite well, and I, I think that uh, there are two or three things to say about it. First of all, and I was involved with this process with Mario Cuomo in the last cycle, and uh, we had recommendations about process changes, and those those recommendations uh, that referendum failed in 1997, as you noted. And that following that, the statutory and constitutional changes to respond to some of these process concerns were proposed and entered into the Senate and Assembly hopper. But nothing was done because the people who can make those changes are hostile to a convention and they don't want to, they don't want to respond in a way that would facilitate or ease concerns. So that's number one. Uh, number two, there's been a vast mobilization of, of new players uh, following the presidential election. In New York, mostly at the left center, not on the right center, I think. So that leads to a degree of uh, of entry of less established figures, potential entry of less established figures. Uh, Three, and this is uh, not necessarily encouraging for advocates like, who want less uncertainty, not more uncertainty, uh, multi-member districts are a red flag under the Voting Rights Act. So, we have multi member districts being used here. So, if we authorize a convention, um, it's likely that we would have litigation, ch- a challenge under the Voting Rights Act. So, well, why is that? Uh, why do I mention that as an advocate? Well, because that will be a, pros- a, a process change driver. So, we can't get process change before the vote, we can only get process change after the vote. Now, the degree to which we, that's predictable is an interesting question. Uh, I think that we could get uh, uh, rules that would uh, assure m- minorities being effective in their choice in Senate districts, and we've made some suggestions on that. I could talk about the specifics uh, from a federal judge. Now, if we could get it from a federal judge, that might motivate the legislature as it has on redistricting matters. So it's it's not a simple matter, but uh, but I think that the uh, and the final thing to say about the, this point is that. Uh, People who care about politics get involved, and people who care about politics are are, are already involved in many ways. So the people who are attracted to these options, like people like me, uh, may not be sitting in public office now, but have held public office, have been engaged in public affairs, and so on. And uh, that's undeniable, but not a bad thing, necessarily, in my opinion.
1: Let me zoom out for just one quick second, make sure that um, listeners who aren't intimately familiar just caught some of what was said if the if there is a yes vote delegates will be on the ballot in 2018 uh, as Professor Benjamin said it's the same year as all state-level elected officials will be on the ballot all of the Assembly all of the state Senate governor controller attorney general etc so it's a state election year it would add in this delegate uh, election process um, three delegates per state senate district of which there are uh 63 and then 15 at large for the right. state so
0: 204 yeah. uh there would be 204 uh, delegates at the convention
1: and you're saying that if there is a yes vote there may almost immediately be litigation to change that delegate election process
0: well if you if you to, to specify if you have three people elected from east district and uh, there's a, a minority in that district. The minority might be denied effective choice under the Voting Rights Act, be determined to be denied effective choice. Now it's kind of interesting because we have 14 uh, Senate seats now that return racial or ethnic minority members. We have uh, far more women in the in the legislation than we used to used to, although not, not certainly proportional to the presence of women in the population. So the uh, Convention that would be held would be far more diverse than any convention ever held in New York so that but notwithstanding it almost automatically But notwithstanding that there might be challenges under the under the Voting Rights Act
1: So delegates are let's fast forward a little in the process delegates are elected in 2018 Let's say all this assumes a yes vote what happens next there the, the November 2018 election happens and then
0: well it's interesting because they they're directed to convene in Albany on April 1st and and uh, the legislature used to be out of business by early March in the days where this requirement was noted so we'll have a little tug of war over the use of the capitol, but presumably in 2019, in 2019 yeah. but they will convene and they will uh, establish their own rules select their own leadership and proceed, usually it's taken, uh, the process has taken four and a half to five months. Then, they'll, then they have the power to determine what they'll put on the ballot and in what form they'll be put, it'll be put on the ballot. Because anything they do has to be approved by the citizens, coming back to the idea of, uh, of the citizens being sovereign. So uh, they can put it on as one question as they did in 67. That, that question failed at the polls. That was a convention called by the legislature, not by this process or they can put it on as multiple questions, as was done in 1938, I think, 10 questions, eight of which passed. And we, when I I worked on the city charter uh, many years ago in in the 80s when we had a constitutional challenge to the city government that was a structure that was successful. And when we look back at this experience in 67, we said we're going to do multiple questions, and and that's what we did, and we, we succeeded in making serious changes in the structure of New York City government. So I think that any responsible... Uh, convention would have multiple questions.
1: Is there any um, actual rules for how long the convention would last? Could it conceivably last longer than four and a half, yes. five, six months? Yes. And then you push the, the recommendations onto the not 2019 November ballot, but 2020?
0: We could have a special election and there's no, it's not precluded. Uh, uh, it has not happened in recent history. Uh, but, uh, uh, yes, it could go longer, and that's one of the criticisms of the uh, of the opponents that uh, there's no uh, time limit on how long it could, could mean. But Nor the hist-
2: is there a requirement that they come up with something? The convention could be deadlocked.
0: That's true, Carol, um, and I hadn't thought of that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm glad there was something new <laughs> <Yeah. here laughs> to this debate, which has been going on for a while. They're also, as you said, they they make they make their own rules, Um, and uh, there we're in a new era of accessibility and social media. And I've heard many people say, "Oh, this is the convention will be live streamed, and everyone will be able to participate and know what's going on." There's no they can decide. For example, I'm not suggesting this, but just to show possibilities, could the convention itself decide we will not be televised, we will not allow any sort of public um, viewing or listening to what we're doing?
0: I think that uh, theoretically it could. Uh, I I think that uh, I'd have to read the open meeting law in New York, but my casual uh, recollection of the open meeting law would be that it wouldn't reach the convention. Uh, a very famous constitutional convention was closed and did a pretty good job The, the uh, wrote the u s Constitution, but I think, as a practical matter, op- opacity would defeat the convention 's work, so I think there 'd have to be accessibility and visibility to a degree Now we have a, a big debate in in some quarters about how good openness is for making good public policy so uh, that's a kind of interesting question, but it takes us a little bit afield. But I, I'm not sure, as a as a person who's observed these processes, that I would be a complete advocate of openness in every way. But I think it would not be, uh, I think it would be uh, pretty uh, likely that that there'd be clarity and lots of evidence about what was going on while it happened.
1: So let's get back to some of the things. Um that you said are, are necessities here, in your opinion, for why a convention should be called. You hit on a few. Do you want to sort of elucidate those a little bit more, or some of the big things that are sort of out there in the atmosphere of the pro folks, and then we'll get into some well, more the, detailed the, the, con. the
0: things that voters. We, there have been polls by CNN and and, and uh, others about what voters are, are interested in. Some of them I'm interested in. First of all, I think it would be a great deliberative. Uh, moment in New York history, and that it by itself would be important, given the discontent with government and the skepticism about government. I think the event itself would be important. Now, that's, you know, not a reason to do it. I also think from talking to some of the, there are very few delegates still alive, but, but I've been paying attention a long time. So there is a certain uh, uh, gravitas about doing this. So people take it seriously when they get elected, and not that people don't take their work serious generally, but they are. This is a constitution we're writing, you know. That, that, that becomes important an important contextual factor. Now, looking at the specifics, I think uh, there's a great concern about ethics. The capacity of a few people under the current process to veto ethics inquiries is an interest in treating if we can create an independent ethics board. Mostly ethics works if we, as a preventative, we have a good ethics process and good oversight process. We try to keep bad things from happening before they happen. Second, we want competitive elections where we can have them. The, 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 the distribution of voters and their partisanship makes competition, drives competition to primaries a lot, but we'd like competition where we could have it. So we'd like the districts designed in a neutral uh, uh, fashion. That's been achieved in some states so it's not impossible. I think we had full reform in New York on, in 2014 on that. Uh, we'd like uh, the courts to be restructured so they're efficient. Um, and uh, I think we have had studies that suggest the courts cost lots and lots of money. One study in 2007, a half billion dollars more than necessary between the cost to litigants and the public costs. And we'd like justice to be quicker. Uh, some people like to choose just judges uh, in a different manner than election. I'm, I'm sure it will be discussed. I'm not a great advocate of that change. I have to think that through a little bit more. I think the home rule question is a very big one. Uh, I think that uh, people who live in New York City may, may be especially attuned to that, pay attention to government, may be especially attuned to that. I wrote an article for the New York the State Bar Association Journal that just appeared, where I talked about changing some of the language in the Constitution to undo some of the precedents on home rule to drive the to drive the uh, uh, debate in a different direction. So that's very important to me. I think the budget article needs to be reconsidered. I don't. I think it's being it's been distorted as far far beyond its intent and on our predisposition to drive lots of substantive matters into budgeting. It's not uh, healthy. I think we should be discussing and considering these matters discreetly, uh, and I think the Governor is uh, preemptive of the legislature. So at the same time as I want legislative reform, I want an empowered legislature to a certain degree, which is some people regard as contradictory, but i, I don't I don't I think that they they're, they're equally they're, they can stand together without being contradictory. You know, the way we manage our elections, which I didn't mention before, has been a preoccupation of mine for decades. The, the the boards of elections were supposed to be reforms. They were late 19th century reforms, and we embedded them in the Constitution. I think we should have neutral professional election administration. I think we waste a lot of money, and we, we have a, an entry into our uh, process of, of a potential for corruption as a consequence of how we do it, and that can only be taken care of constitutionally. It's interesting when the feds gave us money after the 2000 presidential election to reform our the way we kept our voter lists and so on. New York did a study, but uh, this was a third rail for the people who wrote that study in the Pataki administration. They didn't talk about changing the election administration at all because of the embedded interest of the people in power uh, uh, in like the way the, we do it.
2: And one of the other issues is um, independent district. Right, Re,
0: right. Redistricting. I think I, I might not have said that as quite as directly as I as I wish to as I would, I would. And that's kind of these. So those are. And and when you think about a constitution, when you talk about, we have a fifty thousand word constitution. Your listeners are, might not know that. This is not a a small document. This is not an eight thousand word document. This is a document that has lots of stuff in it. And that's important to understand why this it makes this 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 debate and this discussion very more complex than it otherwise would be. But I think the fundamentals are the structure of the government, and that's what we have to get at. That's what we haven't gotten at. This is the longest time since a convention in the history of New York.
1: So it strikes me listening to every, uh, everything you just listed and, and a lot of the things that the vote yes folks are pushing for, including election reform, court reform, et cetera, uh, are structural, are process aspects, help run the government more efficiently, more ethically, you know, very appealing stuff. But this is not, these are not the things that drive voters, generally speaking, right?
0: Voters and are interested in term limitation, for example.
1: That's true. Um, and there's some, you know, interested in campaign finance reform right. and election reform. But these pale, I think, in comparison to the folks that vote on, you know, the minimum wage or environmental issues or some of these things where there's been a much more mobilization on the the no side? How do you convince some of these folks that are afraid?
2: Well, let me put yeah. it a different way, which right. is I, 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 you're talking about process reforms, and if there really is a spirited campaign in some districts, um, it's kind of hard to believe that this will be the topic that people will be arguing about. There is very intense opposition to the convention, um, particularly from labor union, labor unions and groups, mm-hmm. what are they concerned will happen? Okay. It's not these things that okay. you're talking
0: let about. Okay, let me. Uh, yeah, I've been debating. I've been debating two or three nights a week uh, uh, for about six weeks, <laughs> so I know what they're worried about. Um, so let me let me say this. I would say
1: they might be a little bit worried about their ability to influence elections. If some of these Well, I'm
0: happen. not, not going <laughs> to. Let me, let me play it straight. I mean, uh, so st- one, one reason state constitutions are longer is because they have st- things in them that na- the national constitution doesn't. And one of the things in them is what we call positive rights. Positive rights are the rights of people to things rather than keeping government from doing bad things to people, which are constraints on government. This is directives to government. So if you take, uh, uh, make made a list, we have a, an obligation of government to provide education, you know, state government. We have an obligation of government to protect the wilderness, the Forever Wild Provision, and the State Constitution, the Adirondack and Casco Preserve. We have a direction of the government to look after the poor, Article 17, adopted in 1938. We have, an obli- we have a provision in the Constitution that makes, affirms that pensions of, of, of local government and state government workers are a contract, gives them contractual status, which was in question when that convention was, was called. We have, we have the civil service system in the Constitution. We have the prevailing wage for workers on public projects in the Constitution. So these are either rights or benefits that important subsets of the population, enjoy. So they, it's kind of, these will play placed at risk because when we have a convention, the question we must ask on the ballot is unlimited. And the reason that question is on, the, is, in the, is, is on the ballot is because in 1846, the question was written and put in the Constitution because those people knew that people would monkey with referendum questions, as we have seen happens in recent New York history. So we have this uh, risk to various constituencies that they perceive. Now, some constituencies are less uh, cohesive than others. For example, Tony Robinson, a very well-known professor of environmental law at Pace University, has talked about the extension of environmental protections to water and air. And uh, so there are some environmentalists advocating a convention. They're not all opposing a convention. But these risks are causing leaders of the labor movement to say look at the, look at the environment, look at what's happening in of the states uh, to unions generally, look at what's happening nationally, look what happened in Wisconsin, look what happened in bankruptcies in, lo- in certain local governments across the country. They are going to take your pension. Well, of course, your pensions can't be taken under the U.S. Constitution for people who now have them, nor can they be taken from people who are now vested. But in the future, conditions for, under which pensions might be provided or the kinds of preventions, pensions that might be provided could be changed as we know that happens now under the constitution with new tiers being defined. So the opposition has been mobilizing people through fear of change and fear that their change will have a particular negative impact on them. I've been arguing that the prospect of those things happening is very small in New York. They've been arguing that people like the Koch brothers will come in with big bucks and capture the convention and make bad things happen, which I think is Soros could come in and make good things happen from their point of view, I suppose. But I think both of those are very unlikely.
1: I think it'll be interesting if the vote goes the yes way to see all these groups quickly shift into trying to influence the process after, right? Well, they've (laughs)
0: said very overtly that they would be fully engaged and the money in this is on their side. Uh, The the argument about money has bothered me a lot because if you look at the filings, uh, the groups uh, opposed have spent about or intend to spend about four times as much as the people advocating. uh, Yes. And the sources of their money are all organizational and the other advocate sources are all individuals.
1: You mentioned, uh, and we're just in our last few minutes here with Gerald Benjamin of SUNY New Pulse, a proponent of uh, voting yes on ballot question number one on your November ballot on the backside from the candidates. Uh, I should mention, by the way, that there are going to be three ballot questions. Mm -hmm. Concon is number one. Number two is actually, actually, numbers two and three are sort of evidence that some of the no vote folks are using to say, look, we can get referendum on the ballot that changed the Constitution, and this is sort of the... Less risky process because number two is stripping pensions from corrupt uh, public officials. Right.
0: Yeah. But it was interesting when I uh, looked at the record that the unions had opposed this for a long time. And then when I asked at a debate, uh, well, wh- what cha- caused you to change your mind? My view is that it's tactical. You know, we want to sh- show we can do something that would be reform minded simultaneous with the convention vote. But they said, well, they took out, the, we, 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 we were able to take out. The application of this constitutional change to non-elected officials, so we're comfortable with it, which made me a little bit uh, skeptical. I mean, you know, corruption for people who are uh, public employees is okay as long as they're not elected. I didn't think I didn't like that very much. That's my that's that's my formulation of the answer. The other
2: (laughs) yes, um, you know, go ahead and do it if you must, but let's control what it says to keep it limited. Right. But the the other thing is that people would say, we've really gotten to a kind of a point of beyond disaster before something that seems relatively straightforward even makes it uh, to the ballot as an amendment given all of the terrible things that have happened um, before even this relatively narrow amendment made it to the ballot.
0: Well, the other other thing I... The, 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 I've been running into this argument. We've changed the Constitution over 200 times. We can do it through the legislature. So my response to that is to take out a list of amendments and read them. And the amendments aren't about the fundamentals of institutional relations. Not not if you go back to 20, 1929, they are. You go back to Al Smith, they are. But recently, in the last 75 or 80 years, they're most almost all about changing the details that are there because it's a different kind of constitution than the national, how much money a particular government can borrow, what the limit is, what, what the uh, number of points you get if you're a, a war veteran from a recent war as opposed to a veteran who hasn't been uh, wounded. Uh, you know, those kinds of uh, details are addressed in amendments, uh, but not the fundamentals of government. There are... We did change the way we elected the Court of Appeals in the in the 70s. We did make the uh, Constitution gender neutral, which I thought was symbolically very important. But most most uh, of the uh, amendments allegedly made to, de- to demonstrate the process is allegedly effective are de minimis. they're not imp- they're not consequential.
1: I want to make two quick points and then ask one final question. I don't know if you have anything else you want to bring up, Carol, but. Um, You know, I think it's interesting. You mentioned home rule, and, um, you know, this is something that's obviously been here in New York City a big source of frustration for people, including the current mayor. Um, And, you know, it's interesting that the current mayor, Bill de Blasio, um, who also likes to talk about reform and how dysfunctional Albany is, uh, is against the Constitution. He obviously has a lot of labor ties, and he's talked about sort of some of the risks.
0: I thought that was the the worst political judgment of this whole of this whole uh, mishigas, as we say in German <laughs> he could have, in the year he was campaigning for mayor, he, he could have been the champion of reform uh, with no cost because there's no effective alternative to him. So when he, when, he got to, when I take off my hat as knowing the Constitution and I take start looking at political analysis, I thought his misjudgment was very, uh, very serious.
1: Could have cost him some labor support, I guess. Um, but no, no, as you say, he might not need it. For the election, and the other thing I wanted to mention was the other most powerful uh, person in state government, Andrew Cuomo, who a couple of years ago had expressed support for a constitutional convention, even put a million dollars in his executive budget two years ago for a planning commission. You mentioned serving on Mario Cuomo's planning commission ahead of
0: 1997.
1: I staffed it. I didn't serve. Staffed it. Um, And. Then that money disappeared when that budget was passed. The legislative leaders didn't really want it in there. We don't exactly know how that money vanished, but um, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, has sort of very much receded in his his support. So I just wanted to make a couple well, of those the, political the, you points. You know,
0: I wrote an article with an, with a colleague called Con- Convention Phobia. Of course, all across the country, conventions aren't being approved They haven't been approved since the mid nineteen eighties, and it's because of the uh, Aggregation of interest that uh, that have things to lose in each state, uh, being able to block because we get generally low turnout. But uh, usually, governors who've, who are advocates for structural change, they think in net terms they'll benefit. And uh, Barry Cohen was strongly a, an advocate. You, it's almost, it's very hard to win these a uh, positive outcome without a governor. So I was I've been a little disappointed that. Andrew Cuomo was a very strong advocate in his first year, but it's backed away. I think he's made some political judgments about this. The bill, the million dollars is interesting. I was very disappointed, and uh, the New York State Bar Association called for preparation. Preparation is the other single most important thing to make some, to, to get a positive vote. You have to show you're prepared. You have to have executive leadership in the state. And uh, somebody took me aside and said, you know, this was a, a drop-dead uh, proposition in the budget negotiation. The legislature said, we're not going to pass the budget without the removal of this million dollars. Now, I don't know. That's rumor and speculation. But uh, it seems logical to me that they, they, they don't want it. And uh, others have to consider that. People who want to influence them have to consider that. People who want to get them to do things have to consider that. So I think that's the locus of the core of, of opposition. That's the key locus.
2: Well, when he talks about it now, um, to the extent that he does, the governor talks about the concerns about the selection process as something that he would he had hoped would be corrected that we could have had legislation that would have specified you couldn't um, be in elective office and be a delegate right. and some other criteria, and that that hasn't happened he doesn't say therefore I'm against it, but he does bring that up as a concern
0: right, but and about, you but know about yeah. this
2: million dollars i we i haven 't discussed this with anybody but you know, a million dollars is largely symbolic in such a in this case, isn't it? If you wanted to create a commission to get ready for the convention, you could do that. There have been many a, right, state right, commissions. Yeah, that, One true. was just appointed a, recently for the you know come up with a revenue source for the MTA.
0: They have a plastic bag. You don't pack, you, task you
2: don't force, need yeah. uh, specific funding to right, create. When
0: we when Mario Cuomo did this, I and Peter Goldmark was head of our commission. It was funded out of. Uh, by the governor's office without an appropriation And the legislature was uh, resistant then The last time the legislature got on board Was in 1957 uh, When when Nelson Rockefeller Was famously uh, chairman of, of the commission And you know Harriman was It was argued Harriman elevated The person who defeated him you know, That was the But the legislature has Until 57, had historically Provided resources with the governor To study and prepare But since then it hasn't happened so I guess we'll
1: leave on this final, final question, final thought of how the vote is going to go. Um, we've seen a lot of opposition uh, being wrangled by the, by the no side among labor unions and other activists. But then you have reformers trying to rally. And I think one thing that you hit on that's very interesting is this sort of um, dissatisfaction with government. Um, sort of feeling that's that seems to have grown more and more in recent years. Is that enough to carry it well, over the finish Well, we have line?
0: classically uh, the polls show you're far ahead the more distant you are from the vote you're, you're uh, if you're an advocate the support atrophies people are inclined to like the idea but they don't know anything about it they're very vulnerable. It's not very deep so they're very vulnerable to uh, argumentation against Are um, we have a committee for a constitutional convention It has a hundred and some members. Evan Davis is the head of it. Uh, we have seen polls that show things competitive. You know, th- we're still competitive among, among the likely voters. Um, we have still a few weeks to go, but there's certain quickening of interest and I'm very appreciative of this uh, forum because talking to people in this way is a way of getting the message out when you're less resourced. So uh, I... Uh, I think it's a fight. I I think it's not going to come out in as as lopsided a way as it did last time. Whether it's going to be a win, that's still, I think, uh, aspirational. Very good.
1: Well, Professor Benjamin, we appreciate the time, uh, and uh, I appreciate uh, your efforts out there uh, with the the nature of the campaign you're waging, as you said, multiple uh, speaking events every week and coming to join us here today. So uh, thank you for that, and thank you for joining us. Well, uh, thank you for having me.
2: Pleasure to talk to you. Always. Bye.